The following audio is from Resurrection Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about the church or if you would like to know more about when our community meets, please visit our website at resurrectionchat.org. If you're ever in the Chattanooga area, we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 a.m. We're located at 1800 Rossville Avenue in the south side of Chattanooga. We hope you enjoy this week's message. My friends, in the last couple of weeks, we've been working through uh, a series that we're asking ourselves, what, what is suffering and evil? Why did, it, why, why did Jesus come? Because of those things. But also, how do we interpret it? How do you and I, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, those that are seeking to, to follow him, how do we uh, think through these moments in our life that take us completely by surprise, Moments of suffering, difficulty, and pain. And, and last week, we begin to answer those questions a little bit. But this week, we're going to answer them, hopefully, by God's grace, even more. In 2003, my friend and I, uh, we dreamed of a church. We dreamed of a church that would be a place where God could dwell. We dreamed of, of a church where God's love and his grace, gracious uh, Ness would be experienced. We, uh, we dreamed of a place that people could emotionally, physically, and spiritually be healed. And we did something that was a little crazy. We, we did something that was a little maybe just yeah, outlandish. It, is we decided to start a church. I was only 23. He was only 24. We didn't have a lot of life experience. We didn't have a lot to really offer, even though we thought we did. But we started a church in my family's living room and we got a, a little piano and we set it up. It, it just had the speakers on the piano. It was like one of those that you buy for your children. And we picked some songs and we all sat in the living room and we sang and we worshiped. And we believed God to do something. We believed God to, to come and to meet us in, in that moment. Funny thing is, despite all of our sinful propensities, despite all of our weaknesses, God did meet us. And we moved from my family's living room to a conference room in a hotel. And then we outgrew that, and then we moved to an auditorium in a high school. And then we didn't fully outgrow that, but we had enough people where we could then buy our own place. And so we bought our own place. And this was this beautiful season in my life. It was sweet. It was good. Everything that I had kind of ever hoped for, everything that I had ever dreamed about was all seeming to fall into place. And there was moments in my life where I just pinched myself and said, is this really happening? Could it really be this good? Well, it was good for a while. But things then begin to change. It felt like the winds begin to change. I can't put my finger upon it. I can't fully understand how it happened. I don't even know if there was a specific moment. But it did feel that I woke up one morning and it just was that time where I can't do this anymore. And what was so hard about it is I went to my best friend's house. We sat down at a table in his apartment. I began to describe what was happening and how I felt like it was time for me to move on. And here was the curious thing. I didn't have anything 
lined up. I didn't have another job. I, I didn't have any aspirate. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And the conversation didn't go very well. And I left the apartment and I closed the door. And I never felt so scared in my life. Have you ever kind of put all your eggs in one basket? Or uh, designed a plan and then that plan began to work and then all of a sudden everything just kind of turned upside down and shifted on you. I was driving on my way back to our little town home asking my wife, thinking, what am I going to tell my wife? We'd only been married three months. I don't have a job. I don't have a way to provide. I don't know what we're going to do. We don't have another community outside of us. We were scared. Here's what I know is that probably many of you have sat at that table too. Many of you have sat at the table of disappointment. Many of you have sat at the table of suffering and fear and anxiety. And unfortunately, many of you have feasted at that table. Where you just found yourself in a place where you just don't know what I'm going to do. Some of you haven't gotten to the school that you wanted to get into. Some of you didn't get the job that you actually really wanted and worked hard for. Some of you had businesses that you poured yourself into and that have completely failed. Some of you have broken relationships. Some of you have really hard marriages that ended in even more difficult divorce. Some of you have longed to be married and that you have not been fulfilled. You're still waiting. Some of you have hoped for a child and that hasn't actualized. It hasn't happened yet. Some of you have had to walk through sickness and even death with loved ones. All of us friends have experienced difficulty, suffering, and darkness. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want it, but it came. And last week, what we began to do through, uh, at the beginning of the Advent season, but what we did specifically last week is we begin to ask ourselves, how do we interpret this evil? How do we interpret darkness? And a few conclusions that we came to is that darkness and, and evil are not illusions. They're real. Jesus didn't come into our world. Jesus didn't come to a people and tell them, hey, by the way, you just need to change your perspective and thinking. No, he brought healing. He brought light. He brought restoration. So evil and suffering in our world are not illusions. The second thing is they're not random. We just don't live in a chaotic world. We do. It feels like it. But God has plans and intentions. The, the scriptures remind us that God is a father. That he is intimately involved in your life. That he knows you. That there is not a word that comes out of your mouth that they didn't even already know. And that every day of your life is written down in a book. He knows you. He sees you. So we also know that pain and suffering is not random. Okay, well, Ryan, it's not, it's not, it's not random and it, it's not an illusion. Well, then pain and suffering is it's, it's karma. I did something wrong. Well, we say no to that too, friends, because uh, the pain and suffering that we experience in the world is not God punishing you or me. 
As a matter of fact, the cross is the symbol is that Jesus took on all the punishment that you and I deserve. He took it upon himself. So it's not divine punishment. But maybe if it's not divine punishment, well, then it has to. And if God is intimate and good and he understands, well, then it has to be a part of his entire plan. It's in a blueprint. And we actually say no to that, too. We, don't, we say that God was not the cause of evil, that he doesn't bring evil and suffering into our life. He doesn't direct it that way. But we acknowledge that God is loving and that he is good and that he can take the difficulty and the suffering and the pain and he can turn it around for our good. So we actually say no, that God did it or that's a part of his divine plan. And maybe that was a Maybe a difficult sermon to think about. I hope it was helpful. But this morning I'm really excited because we can ask ourselves this morning and through the passages that we're going to look at, which is called the Annunciation, and then we're going to look at what's called also the Magnificat. And we can ask ourselves, what can we say yes to then? When suffering and difficulty comes, is there actually some answers that scripture gives us that we can say, okay, I can see what God is doing. This makes sense. The thing about it is, I think it's important to also say that when pain and suffering and difficulty comes in our life, maybe the answer sometimes is just not to say anything at all. Maybe we do what Jesus did when he heard about Lazarus. His, one of his closest friends being sick and he sat down with his brother dead actually sitting down with his sisters and he just wept with them if you know that story you know that Jesus healed Lazarus and he came out of the tomb but we see this intimate picture of where Jesus just sits down with those that are hurting and suffering and just weeps maybe that's the answer sometimes is that when it comes we don't have to offer an answer. We don't have to give a protocol. We don't have to give a way out. Maybe we just sit with people and weep with them. If you have your Bibles, though, we're going to look at a passage that we can, hopefully from the life of Mary, begin to get some answers to what we do as Christians following Jesus. So if your Bibles look at uh, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read Verse 26 through 38, and then um, I'll come back to um, a few passages after that a little later. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel of the Lord answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child um, that was born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age will also conceive a son. And this was the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how do we look at suffering and evil when it comes and happens? I'm going to look at it three ways. Um, that God can take it and, and use it for good in us, for good for us, and good through us, okay? So God can take suffering and difficulty and pain, and he can use it, number one, for good in us. Let's take a few seconds and think about the suffering that Mary was experiencing. You need to remember she was a teenager. Uh, she was of the least of her society. Nobody really paid any attention to her. Um, we don't know for sure, but history tells us that she was probably illiterate. So the things that she had memorized, the songs that she would sing, it wasn't that she could look at a book and read it. It's somebody, she heard it. She would have kind of gone unnoticed. Nobody really expected much or greatness out of her or from her. Then, on top of all of that, she has an unplanned pregnancy. It's a crisis pregnancy because almost, it you know, almost ended in divorce where her betrothed Joseph almost left her until the angel of the Lord came and said, don't do it. And as soon as her son, as soon as Jesus was born, his life was in immediate danger for Herod desired to have Jesus killed. And not only was her son's life in actual extreme danger, she was then a refugee on the run. Her, Joseph, and this newborn child exiled out of their home country into another country. What a terrifying and scary existence. What an eruption in her life. Where she's quietly living her life, doing the things that she wanted to do. She just wanted to get married. She wanted to put on that dress. She wanted to go before God and her husband and commit her vows and live her life. She wanted to be normal. And then God entered in, interrupted everything. What's also funny to think about is that Luke tells it that she doesn't fully even understand her own son. She didn't fully grasp what he was called to do or what he was supposed to be. She didn't get it. Luke says a sword will pierce Mary's heart. That's not a physical thing. You know what that means? That all her life she suffered from a broken heart. 
Maybe you might feel that way. It's just like one thing after another. Well, Mary has a lot to say about this experience. When we are facing this sort of intense suffering in our life, we understand that it can do one, two, one of two things. It can restore us. It can work out good in us. But it can also break us. We understand that when we experience this sort of despair, this level of sorrow, it can actually harden our hearts. If you've experienced that kind of pain a lot, sometimes a response is, I'm going to build my walls high and I'm not going to share my heart ever again because I don't want it to be broken. And so therefore your heart hardens. Or you might say things like, you just live your life thinking, I'm just waiting always for the other shoe to drop. It's suffering and difficulty is coming around the corner. It's almost like you can lose hope for anything good when this sort of suffering and pain comes. Where you become fearful of having a broken heart or something else happening in your life, so therefore you just sort of isolate yourself. We're surrounded by people like this all the time. Where you don't know it, but they're quietly suffering under the weight of difficulty and under the weight of pain and under the weight of isolation and silence. Suffering and evil can indeed be a really bad thing in our heart. But what is also true is that God can create something beautiful. That God can create something good. That he can, he can take what we've gone through, what we've suffered from, and make us more alive than we ever thought that we could be. We see this in the life of Mary. God is doing great things in her life through her pain and through her suffering. We see her character developing into something beautiful and wonderful. Why, you might ask? Well, we see in Luke's gospel that she sings. We see just after this announcement comes and everything is turned upside down, we see this beautiful picture just a few verses down where Mary is singing. Whenever somebody sings, friends, it's a great picture of what's happening inside their hearts. Something good is happening here. Verse 46 says this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. This is important to think about. Her situation, friends, hasn't changed. Things are still hard. Situations are still dire. There is still a dangerous thing happening in and around her life. Yet the first thing that she thinks about the first thing that she looks to is God. She doesn't focus on her circumstances. Not at first. She focuses on God's presence, power, and love in her life. Now, I need you to listen to me. And I want to be very careful and I want to be very clear with what I'm saying. So, very careful. First, I am not saying that you and I ignore our bad situations. She doesn't do that. She doesn't ignore the struggle. She doesn't act like the pain is not there. It is not this idea of illusion. Like, I just need to change my perspective. I need to change my thoughts. I sort of need to have thoughts of Jesus kind of glaze over that and just act like it's not there. She's not doing this. 
She's not ignoring it, no. Mary is very concerned with her life. She is very concerned with the situation. She believes that her life is in danger, that her son's life is in danger. So much she leaves. So I'm not saying ever ignoring them. That's not what we do. But here's where I want to be clear. Mary begins with a place in her heart that she sees and places her focus on God first. The first thing that she thinks about are not the dire circumstances, are not the things that are happening around her. She looks at God as being present and being good and being loving. And the first thing she thinks about is Him. This is sort of the opposite of what we probably do. I know it's at least the opposite of what I do. When somebody asks me, hey, Ryan, how are you feeling? What's going on in your life? My proclivity is to stink and kind of go through my circumstances and be like, well, the church is doing good. My family's doing good. I feel my heart's okay. You know, I kind of got these circumstances going on around me. And then I can probably come up with saying something like, things are pretty good. Or they could be worse. My first response is not to think about God and be like, he is so wonderful and beautiful and magnificent in my life. It's usually I report on the circumstances. Mary doesn't do that. Mary does the opposite. She doesn't think about the circumstances. She doesn't think about her feelings. She doesn't think about what's happening exactly at that moment. Mary lets the love and the presence of God be her primary context. Her primary context is God, his love, grace, and mercy for me. This should be our primary context as well. The love and the mercy and the grace of God, that God is always present, always with us. And see, what we can do is we can learn from this is that we don't ignore the difficulty, but what we do is we take our thoughts, we take our feelings, and we place them on the real context that God is good and present. And we allow that to be our primary context. Friends, I, I can't make this more clear or emphasize this enough. God's love is all over you. Whether you feel it, whether you can experience it right now, it's all over you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've said. I heard a really, really wise person say that there are two things that God can use in our life to cause us to learn. That he can use truth and he can use pain. And all of them, both of them are holy. What does that mean? I, I, if you've caused pain in your life, if you caused it for others, if you've brought it upon yourself, that doesn't deny the fact that God is loving and present and near you. And that he can use the pain and the struggle and the circumstances of your life for good. We see this in Mary's life. This is how God can take suffering, pain, and evil and turn it around into something good in our life. God can indeed create that in him. Look, she goes on with this beautiful song. 
In verse 48, and she says, For he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now into all generations will people call me blessed. Do you think Mary is saying something like, Now everyone's going to call me blessed because I'm that incredible? No. Yeah, I'm going to be great. God's presence is with me, therefore I'm going to be a magnificent person. And everyone's going to look at my life and want to have something like that. Do you think that's what she's saying? I don't think so. I think that Mary is a little bit maybe laughing to herself right now. The favor and love of God. And she says, do you know where I come from? Do you know what state I'm in? Do you know who I am? Like, people are going to call me blessed. All generations? I think that's her response here. I think she's still trying to wrap her head around it. I think if she was texting and she put AOL or ha 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 after it. She's thinking, I have no power. I'm nothing special. I have nothing really to offer. Me? People are going to call me blessed? And see, what God begins to do in her at that moment is he begins to form a new reality in her. Where he says, the culture of the world might think that you're nothing. You might go unnoticed, but I see you. I know you. I've called you blessed. And not only I, others will too. (laughs) You know what God is doing in her, friends? is he's forming her into a wise, mature, compassionate, loving person. And the hard thing is, is he's not doing it through good circumstances. I imagine Mary would be the kind of person that when you were scared or feeling alone, she'd be the one you want next to you. Because she's walked through it, she understands it. It's all been through a difficult thing. But what God is doing is good in her. And he is still doing that today. God is still using the suffering and the difficulty and our pain and our life to do good things. To bring something better than we had ever imagined. Think about her story. What if she had said... To the angel, I want a normal baby. What if she had said, I, I, I don't want anything unique. I don't, I don't want to be on display. I don't want to be called blessed. But she responds and says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. But what if she said, I didn't want that? What if she said, I want a normal kid and a normal life. I want a suburban house. I want two cars and a garage. I want to stay at home and I want to drive my kids around to soccer. What if she said, I don't want to be a refugee or I don't want to have a son. A son that is going to go through everything that he goes through. I I don't want to have people chase me down. I, I, I don't want to ever not fully understand my son all of his life. Do you know that there's actually places in the gospel that Mary thinks that Jesus is insane? She 
She tries to stop him from doing ministry. She doesn't fully understand him. What if she said, I don't want any of that? Maybe she wouldn't be the person that she became. What if she said, no, I don't want a difficult life. I don't want a hard job. I don't want to place my trust completely in you because I don't know where you're going to take me. But Mary doesn't have a normal life and it turns out much more beautiful than she could ever have imagined. And this is hard to see. This was, I mean, this was extremely difficult for her to see. And she couldn't see at all. But she gives, think about this. This is, I was thinking about this this morning. She gives birth to her own salvation and forgiveness. She gives birth to true embodiment of love. Moms, let me ask you this question. What if you had said no to the emotional and physical pain that comes with childbirth? What if you said no? It's too difficult. It's too hard. I, I, do, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know how they're going to turn out. What if you had said no? Well, then you know, you wouldn't experience the joy and the fulfillment and the gratitude and love that you feel when your child wraps their arms around you, grabs you by the face and says, I love you, Mom. What if you just said no to that? You know, oftentimes when I think about this, I think about a dear family called the Cashes. Or if you've ever talked to them in any sort of way, um, in any, any depth, both Larry and Sherry will say this. I wasn't expecting what would happen through our first son, but it has been the best and most beautiful joy of my life. That yes, it did seem difficult because it was hard to understand, but I have learned more about what it means to love. I have learned more about what it means to be honest. I have learned more what it means to live in the light of love of God because of it. What if they would have said no? Then there were things in their life and our life that we would have not been able to see not been able to experience. As time goes on, friends, what begins to happen is that God does reveal to us why these things have indeed happened. When I walked out of the apartment that day, when I felt so alone and so scared and I didn't know what I was going to tell my three-month-old bride, she wasn't three months old, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ryan, that's really weird. Yeah. We'd only, been, <laughs> we'd only been married for three months. That's what I was trying to say. When I walked out that day, friends, you know, I didn't see the full picture. I didn't see it at all. I didn't see that God was going to give me a really great job that would allow me to leave in the middle of the day and go to seminary. There was a job that would help provide for my family where my wife didn't have to work. I didn't see that 
this beautiful man named Josh Anderson was going to come into our life and help us through some difficulty in our marriage and then ultimately baptize our sons. I didn't see that I was going to be moving to Brooklyn, New York, and that I would learn what it means to love truly God's people and lead them. I didn't see all of the beautiful people that I would meet along the way and that would actually help form and shape me into the person that I have become. I didn't see a woman that I married that would love me the more that she understands my sin and my brokenness and my difficulty. She loves me more. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see this church. I didn't see this city. And ultimately, I didn't even see you. I didn't see any of it. But God did. And God used that difficulty and that suffering and that pain. And he said, if you continue to follow me and look to me, I'm going to show you things about what I'm doing that you can't see yet. And I say this not because you are going through something. I say this probably because there are a lot of people out there that are going through something far more worse than I've ever experienced. There's some of you out there that have plunged the depths of, of, of suffering and evil like I may not ever touch. Why I'm saying all this? Because God is still working. He's still intimately involved, and I know that you can't see it. I know that it's not been revealed, but it's working. That God will take the circumstances of our life and somehow form and shape them into a tapestry of beauty that we can't even imagine yet. So God works in us, God works for us, and God works through us. I'm finishing. One of the greatest examples of God working through us is Jesus. On the cross, we see Christ's glorious display of what it means to take on our suffering and difficulty that he suffers on our behalf and the gift at the end of it is salvation for you and I. God's love and care that we are adopted by God, seen by God, loved by God, cared for, that was because Christ did it. He suffered for us. And through that suffering, we experience beauty and good. But also there's this kind of secondary thing that we see in Mary's life. If she had said no, and if her faithfulness and disobedience to God, if she, it did not, she did not respond to him the way that she did, where would you and I be sitting this morning? If she had not looked at the angel and said, be it unto me according to your word, I am your servant, where would we be? Her suffering and her pain has benefited us. The things that she went through, the exile, the struggle, the pain, benefits you and I right now. There's this beautiful story about a boy who's about 14 years old and he really didn't like himself. He had cerebral palsy. And many of you know, friends, or maybe you don't, that cerebral palsy can affect you in all sorts of different ways, but you can think, sometimes you can't speak, or you, th you can maybe move, or you're not very mobile. And this young boy was 
uh, so racked with pain and difficulty that even the people that were supposed to care for him didn't. His parents left him and abandoned him. He was put up for uh, care from the state. And he really didn't like himself. He really, uh, he was really broken. Uh, he had a difficulty doing a lot of things. But his caretaker found out through a foundation that uh, he could meet the person in whom he only brought bright light to his life, the only person that was, and his name was Fred Rogers from Mr. Neighborhood, Mr. whatever it is, Daniel's Neighborhood, whatever. And so they met. And Mr. Rogers walked into this boy's room, and the boy was so excited yet felt so grieved that he began to hit and abuse himself. And then his caretaker calmed him down and Mr. Rogers waited quietly outside and then went back into the room. And they began to talk through this little device that you could type words and things on and kind of speak to him. Mr. Rogers was talking to him about things that he was going through and and at the end of it, what was so fascinating is Fred Rogers looked at this boy and said, will you pray for me? And the boy didn't really know what to do because he thought, I'm the object of prayer. People pray for me. Nobody's ever asked me to pray for them. And so he did. He prayed for him. And in this interview, uh, about 10 years later, the journalist looks and says, man, that was such a smart thing to do, to give, to place emphasis and value on him by asking him to pray. And Mr. Rogers looked at him and said, oh, you've got it all wrong. I didn't ask him to pray for me to give him value. I figured that somebody that had gone through so much suffering and pain had to be close to God. And I wanted it as intercession. I was asking that boy for me. I know that you might have been feeling a lot in your life right now, but here, one, God is going to take it and turn it around for our good, for your good. And there's going to be a moment in your life that you're going to be able to sit alongside somebody, sit along another person, and say, I get it, I understand it. And maybe you will begin or be. <laughs> able to offer a window into who God is that they would never understand. This is the promise of Advent, friends. That Jesus will take all of these circumstances and use them for our good. Not just for us, our family, but for those around us. I encourage you to believe that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have and will continue to use these things in our life for your ultimate good, but for our good and for the good for those around us. And even though we don't ultimately understand your plan, even though we can't see it, give us faith and endurance to continue to walk the path and to trust you. We thank you for your goodness and love to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.